Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but I really want to just marry a rich man and go on holiday all the time. <laughs> I'm a feminist, and I'm filming a TV sketch for Comic Relief tomorrow, which is exciting. But when the producer texted me to bring dowdy clothes because my character is frumpy, my first thought was, why do I have to look frumpy on the television? I'm a feminist, but I don't really like other feminists. <laughs> I, I, I don't know you're allowed to say that, Chesley. Oh no, I did, I did. There's no Muslim ban here. I'm not going to censor Muslims on my stage. It's not going to happen. This is how it starts. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when a producer told me to bring frumpy clothes for a comic relief sketch, I texted back, I don't have any frumpy clothes. And she replied, I'm sure you don't. I'm a feminist. But I really think it's a thing for white middle-class women. What, feminism? Yeah. Is it the wrong answer? No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I just read a lot of intersectional theory about how feminism was really, really started by women of colour and it's for white women to be included in that because a lot of feminism was started for women of colour because their struggle has been... It, to be included is a lot greater than white women struggle to be included. But I speak on behalf of all Muslims um, when, I say, <laughs> when, I, when I say that. I know a lot of Muslim women that feel that feminism is a thing for white middle-class women. What is it? It's like a luxury. It's like a hobby. It's like, yes. That they because can, you could sort of indulge that because you're not... Yeah, you, well, not, they, they feel that, uh, you know, they can't marry who they want. They're being beaten by their husbands. They can't leave the house. Yet yeah, white women are fighting for, you know, equal, equal rights and pay. equal pay. Yeah, and they okay. feel that it's a thing for them rather than for Muslim women. That's just what I've heard Muslim women say yeah, to no, me. No, no, no. Sure, sure, sure. And I, I feel ter <laughs> terrible about that and this. <laughs> And I feel like, as I most days feel, there's not enough white guilt in the world. <laughs> I feel a bit stupid saying mine now. 
competition. You're winning anyway, anyway. Well, it's because I'm white. I'm not always winning. God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm a bad person. Apologise, apologise. Shit. Um. Live from the Phoenix Artists Club in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents an emergency episode of The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and Shazia Mirza. And tonight's special guest, Michelle Garnett Mackenzie from The Advocates for Human Rights, talking about Donald Trump's Muslim ban. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So this is a shorter version of The Guilty Feminist. Aisha Hazarika was meant to join us on stage tonight, but she's ill. But brilliantly, we have Shazia Mirza and Michelle Garnett McKenzie from the Advocates for Human Rights in America. Um, And we are very excited about this episode, about what we're calling the Muslim ban, as the press is calling the Muslim ban. Now, Donald Trump would say, no, it's a travel ban, but it is a travel ban deliberately designed to keep Muslims out. I mean, that is incredibly clear. It's as clear as if I was standing in Berlin in 1935 on a crisp summer's day, breathing in the fascism. Um, so, uh, so we're going to talk about that. Now, last week we did an episode, and in fact it was about activism, but the Muslim ban hadn't happened then, so we didn't talk about it. And we thought, oh my God, that episode is virtually, before we've even put it out, it's out of date. So we thought, right, we'll do this one. And then yesterday... The ban was uh, lifted by a High Court judge, a so-called High Court judge, (laughs) inverted commas. I read that on Donald Trump's Twitter feed. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel one of the worst things about this presidency is that Donald Trump is making podcasting incredibly difficult. (laughs) I mean, he is... He's not considering the schedule of the podcaster because every fucking day he changes and, and something new's happened. And like, you, you'd have to podcast seven times a day and put, you'd have to do them live, really, to keep up with the horrendous nightmare that is this administration. We're, we're, how many days in are we? 16. 16 days in. Apparently, previous presidencies, the point where they get uh, below 50% approval rate in the polls is generally somewhere between 800 and 1,050. Donald Trump's approval dipped below 50% on day eight. (laughs) Which, you know, no doubt he's boasting about. Um, uh, (laughs) Took Obama 954 days. I did it at eight. to be here. I'm not, I'm not going to stay here long though because I'm being deported in 20 minutes <laughs> because apparently according to the man in the blue tracksuit coming out of pound stretcher last week I have to go back to where I came from which is Birmingham um, <laughs> but they voted out so I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm not afraid of all the mosques being built on every corner. I'm more afraid of all the pound lands <laughs> and Mecca for racists to gather while browsing for out of date biscuits and Vaseline. <laughs> Three days after Brexit, where this is all started, you know, Brexit, Muslim ban, you know, it's all, it's all the same thing. Three days after Brexit, a friend of mine was abused on the street in Birmingham. She was wearing Asian clothes, so it was her own fault. Uh, but um, this woman came up to her and said, haven't you left yet? And my friend said, I was born here. And this woman said, well, change your fucking clothes then. And this woman was wearing a pink Terry Towling tracksuit. <laughs> it wasn't even Juicy Couture. <laughs> People born 
here are more British than the British. Have you never heard of a brown person who speaks better English than Henry from Tunbridge? It's very confusing, like when Trevor MacDonald first started reading the news. It's very confusing to the people who think they're truly British. And I don't know what that means. Is that what, loving the NHS, sticky toffee pudding and ignoring people you know on a bus? <laughs> I'm definitely British. When somebody pushes in front of me in the queue, I tuck politely and exchange views with other customers. <laughs> If I was a proper Pakistani, I'd behead them on the spot, wouldn't I? <laughs> that would be a more effective way of clearing the queues at Asda. When, when they call for a queue buster, they don't mean a spotty 17-year-old to open a new tool. They mean a band of jihadis with grenades and machetes. <laughs> All we hear now is, there's a problem with Muslims. Oh, integrate, integrate, and then we'll accept you. But that's what people have come over here to be a part of. They love being British. Like my dad, he's called Mohammed, but he abbreviates it to Bob. And, <laughs> and, and they all did that in the 60s. My uncle Salim has a six foot beard, prayed five times a day, let his wife out on a Tuesday. And he was called Jasper. And, <laughs> People think that Muslims are not likely to integrate in the future because they are intentionally self-segregating for religious and cultural reasons. And that might be true, but they're just like everyone else. They will do anything to get their kid into a good school. <laughs> My parents sent me to a Roman Catholic primary school in Birmingham called Our Lady of Fatima. <laughs> they didn't even let Muslims in, but my mum bribed them with homemade chapatis and I got in. I was the only kid in Birmingham who could say the Hail Mary in Urdu. <laughs> I mean, first they banned the burqa, now they've banned the Muslim. That is a big jump, burqa to Muslim. There were no flip-flops or beards in between. Everything... <laughs> and they banned the burqa five months ago. Now, my mother, she wears the burqa, mainly because she doesn't want to be seen with my dad. And, um, <laughs> um, and I, I don't know what the big deal is, because all the women in my family, they all wear the burqa, and it's great, because they all use the same bus pass. And... Um, <laughs> um, we've saved a lot of money. My brothers, they started to use my mother's past now as well. But when the burqa ban first happened in August, I was in the south of France in Saint-Tropez and I was on a beach and the beach turned into a nudist beach, which is very common in France. And there was a woman in front of me wearing absolutely nothing but a butt plug. Now, I didn't know what this thing was. I had to go up to somebody and ask them, what is that? And this French man, he said to me, oh, you know, it is like a, it is like a decoration. It is like a garnish for the ass. <laughs> I said, what do you mean, like parsley? And, um, he said, no, no this, is a this is a decoration. And it, was a p it pissed me off because it was a Diamante butt plug and in the sunlight it was shining in my eye. <laughs> which really pissed me off because I was trying to read Harry Potter at the time. Um, but I didn't tell this woman to go and cover up, cover up her clothes. I wasn't offended. I got up and I moved along the beach, you know, to get a better view. Now, um, <laughs> now this is the start of everything, you know, that they've banned the burqa and now they've banned the Muslim. Now, I go to America a lot. I do really well in... Well, I used to go to America a lot. Um, I, uh, I do really well in America because they think I'm Mexican. And um, <laughs> I've never been offered so many cleaning jobs in my whole life. <laughs> Look, people are very confused about this Muslim ban thing and everything. It started with Brexit, and I voted in, but my dad voted out, and Birmingham voted out, which I was very shocked about, because Birmingham is full of everyone. It's got all immigrants, you know, Afro-Caribbean, Irish, Pakistani, Indian, Jewish, who all immigrants who came over in the 50s. And they voted out. And I, I voted in, my dad voted out. And I said to him, why did you vote out? And he said, well, you know, this is a very small country, and we are full. <laughs> And I thought, well, how would you have liked it if they'd said that to you in the 60s when you first came over? You wouldn't have all those Nissan Micras parked on your driveway now, would you? 
And you know what that is? That is immigrant on immigrant racism. I'm in. Now, let me just pull up the ladder behind me so no more others can get in. We can't have the immigrants coming over here stealing the immigrants' jobs. <laughs> Which immigrants? The first lot of immigrants. Only in Britain is there a class system for immigrants. We've got first-class immigrants, second-class immigrants, and fuck off, we're full-class immigrants who have been sent back by the first lot of immigrants. Now, I was walking down the street a few days after Brexit, and this man shouted out. He said, Oi, you packy, go back to India. <laughs> and that's the problem. It was, it was Prince Harry. But, I mean, um, <laughs> these bigots are not bright. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was lucky enough to meet Michelle Garnett McKenzie. She is an American human rights lawyer who specialises in immigration, so it was a bloody terrible week for her to take a holiday in London. Um, you leave town and immediately called back. Uh, she couldn't go back because her son was coming over here, so she had to work remotely. So when I met her, she just popped down from her hotel room where she was Skyping back home trying to help Muslims from the countries on the ban list. She works for the Advocates for Human Rights. We've asked her to come here today, and she is politely come down from Scotland just to do this show, because where she was... Isn't that nice of her? No one in Britain would travel from Scotland to London for the day for a show, would they? It just wouldn't happen. But America's such a big country. I suppose that's, for her, it's just like sort of going from south to north London. Um, <laughs> still quite far, yeah. Um, that's too far, yeah. Nobody, frankly, here has travelled more than 25 minutes on the tube, except Michelle. So, Michelle Garnett-McKenzie, thanks for joining us. So tell us, what's going on in your country? I don't know, because every day, like you say, is a new, exciting day. We have, uh, of course, banned Muslims, but you won't get in as a Mexican either because we're building the wall. So I, I don't know what to advise you to come in. You're not going to make it as a, a Mexican maid either because we're... You know, this Locking is really, everyone this out. really going to be rough. So um, Shazia has no hope of getting to No, seriously I, though, Shazia goes over there to do New York gigs a lot. What will that experience be like for her now? Well, this is a moving target, but I think you said you were born in Birmingham. Yeah, I'm British. Birmingham. Yeah. I, I, have I a said British, that wrong. I, I said it like it was Alabama. Birmingham. I have a British passport, okay. and I've had an O-1 visa for about 12 years. Okay. Uh, where I go to LA, and I work on this visa. But what happened is, my, I have a green card that's in process at the moment. Oh. And my lawyer called me up last week, and he said to me, don't tweet anything about Trump. Don't tweet any. And right. I said, are you serious? He said, Don't. your green card is in process. Do, Do not, not tweet, tweet anything. Right. Because they're checking people's social media. I they, thought that was just a, a myth that no, I read no, in no. the... This is the, we used to do this um, when you'd come into the States, we'd read you know, people's diaries. Now we just go the social media route. But I think because you were born here yeah. and you're a British subject, citizen, y yeah. subject... You should be able to come back in. Yeah, but right. what, I, what I'm worried about is that people with actual green cards have been refused entry. They, they have. And so I was just reading some advice from one of the, the lawyers who's trying to navigate his clients through and said, make sure if you come into the airport and you have a green card, which green card, permanent resident status, you're supposed to be able to come back to the United States, that Customs and Border Protection are pressuring people to sign a form, and I, I didn't even know this form existed. It's a form I-130. 
407, if you see this form, do not sign it. Because the I-407 voluntarily gives up your permanent residence. So and so the I four oh seven. Okay, so that's important if you're listening. Do not sign the I four oh seven. Don't sign the I four oh seven. So when you get to a US airport and you're standing in a US airport, standing in like Dulles or JFK or something, and you feel like you're in the US, you're not. Because you're still outside the US trying to get in. So you have no constitutional rights. You're not able to get a lawyer. You're not able to you know, make a phone call. They have complete discretion whether to let you in or not. And if they're suspicious of you, we have this ban on seven countries, but that's not the only people we can exclude. We have retained the right to exclude anybody we want. Uh, so that's really good advice to make sure you're not tweeting things or appearing on podcasts making fun of um, <laughs> Trump. So that's it's hard be, if you're a stand-up comedian, though, isn't it? I like, know, you've got to have no view. And the last time I, I went over to LA a few months ago, when I was at immigration, they said to me, what do you do? And I said, I'm a comedian. And he said to me, can you prove it? <laughs> and he, that, honest to God, he said to me, can you prove it? I said, well, I can do 10 minutes right here, right now. <laughs> and do you know what he did? He Googled me in front yep. of me. While I was there at immigration trying to get in, he Googled me and he said, oh, I can see who you are. You can go in. Wow. But yeah. he, he watched me on YouTube. He didn't laugh at all. Oh. <laughs> he Googled me on YouTube. I hope he didn't give a thumbs down in front of you. <laughs> he just Googled me on YouTube. I could hear myself on YouTube. And he was watching me and he went, mm, I, I know who you are. You can go through. Okay. Didn't laugh, okay. Didn't laugh at all. So, right. So this, this ban is up in the air right now, right? You said, Trump, I think it is all about you, Deborah, that he's just going, you know, messing with the podcast. But assuming, you know, the fallout is around the 60,000 people whose visas were canceled in the last few days because they come from one of those countries that was on the list, there was an injunction that was filed. So my state, the proud state of Minnesota, joined Washington state. And we, our attorneys general sued Donald Trump, which I think was probably the happiest day in those attorneys general's lives uh, to <laughs> actually write on a lawsuit, I am suing Donald J. Trump. Um, the judge in Washington state did enjoin or block the ban um, for Muslim entry and also refugee resettlement. So there's a, a program that the U.S. uses to bring people who are sitting in refugee camps, about one half of 1% of the world's 20 million refugees manages to get resettled to the United States. Those can go forward for now, theoretically, but the federal government has appealed. And so there will be a hearing early next week uh, in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals on whether this injunction stands or not. So we don't know. I mean, at this point, it is... Can you imagine? You're sitting here, you've got a gig coming up, you're not sure what to do. Or you're sitting in the States, and you had scheduled a flight for your four-year-old kid whose caregiver, she'd been staying back in her home country, caregiver died, you had a flight scheduled, and the four-year-old was denied entry to the U.S., because of the Muslim ban, right? This is just, it's appalling. It is absolutely appalling. And it goes hand in hand with the other executive order to build the wall and to really block the right of people to seek asylum. So does anybody know about the United States detention system for immigrants? Anybody? Anybody been detained by our immigration? I'm sure, there, that guy back there. You got out, that's good. Um, we have 45,000 people in immigration jail every day. 
What, 45,000 people every day That's in our, immigration jail? I think call it the average daily population. And wow. yeah, 45,000. Several thousand of those are children from Central America who are traveling with their mothers. So that's where our resources are going to be going for protection claims, right? It's to these kitty jails. So they are literally jails. They're prisons run by two private prison corporations. Wow. They hold moms with minor children. And do the mothers and children get to stay together? They stay together. The staff is the Corrections Corporation of America, or GEO Group, prison guards. And these aren't, like, reception centers. These have, you know, wire and sally ports. They're proper and, jails. Yeah, they're proper jails. And there's minors in there. And there are little kids in there. So that's, that's the other half. That's the other executive order. We're going to be doubling down on that. So it's, it's really, it's terrifying. Can I ask you where you see this going? Like, what's your future predictions for America <laughs> What's your best case scenario and your worst case scenario? Your your dystopia, right. your utopia. Well, I think my dystopia is that we really move forward with all of this and that we start not just putting in a 30-day or a 120-day ban on some countries, but that we just completely pull out of any of these, you know, visa arrangements that we shut down this amazing number of people from being part of our community, but on the utopian side, I think we're seeing an amazing exercise of democracy, right? We've got a functioning judiciary. I, my job is to represent people seeking asylum who come from repressive regimes where presidents are strongmen who you know, have a little back road from the airport to their, their house to dump the resources of the country into the White House. Uh, 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 so, um, but... What fails is that you know independent judiciary, the media, um, who for, you know finally are starting to step up and say, alternative facts equal lies, as opposed to alternative facts. That's an interesting turn of phrase, Kellyanne. Um, <laughs> and people marching. Now we were talking about the march before we came on. There were, I live in a very 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 quiet, reserved community up in Minnesota. We are a very Nordic people, and we don't get out and march. If you come to play, if you came to do stand-up, we would not appropriately, and perhaps giggle, but we don't cheer, right? We had 100,000 people marching in our town of 3 million people, right? It was extraordinary, and some of those folks were people who had never gone out and become politically activated. So, you, you were saying that's well, Shazie I've never been on a march in my life, but I went on the march last week at outside 10 Downing Street against the Muslim ban, because when something affects you, it makes you want to get up and march. And what I was really happy about is that I saw a lot of Muslim women with hijabs on, a lot of Muslim women out on the street who had also never marched before, because they felt that there was nothing for them to march against. And what I was really touched about, and all the Muslims that I've spoken to, all my family that I've spoken to, what we're really touched about and who we really want to thank is all the Jewish people. All the Jewish people that have supported us, stood by us, marched for us, defended us, held up placards to say that they are with us so that the same thing doesn't happen to us, what happened to them. We are so grateful to especially those Jewish people who stood by us. And there was loads of them. A lot There's of actually a, a synagogue somewhere in London where they're housing refugees, Muslim refugees, 
refugees and saying oh, ex exactly this, that, that we don't want to see what has happened to our Yeah, the signs happened. that we're holding up, we've seen the signs, we've seen this before, and we're not going to let this happen to you. Yeah. Do you know, um, in Paris, there's you know, the really big, famous mosque in Paris, um, in the Second World War, the imam there said every Jewish child is to be considered a Muslim child for the duration yeah, of the war, and right. they smuggled lots of Jewish children out during the Second World War. And I think that needs more publicity, that Muslims and Jewish people do and can work with each other rather than this yeah. narrative that they're always... And also, I think that Jewish people would do that for any group that is being persecuted because they just <laughs> don't want that thing to happen to anybody else, what happened to them. And I think yeah. this is, this is like you said, it's a great exercise in democracy that... Mm. People have seen this before. People say, oh, you know, it's very lazy to make comparisons with Hitler. It is absolutely essential to make comparisons with Hitler so that the same thing doesn't happen again. And I think this is brilliant that everybody's getting up and they're marching and we're not going to take this. Mm. Right, and the protection <laughs> mechanisms that I was talking about, a refugee law, our asylum law, that came out of World War II. The mm. laws that we have right now that give every one of us the right to seek and enjoy asylum from persecution, if that persecution's on account of our race, our religion, our nationality, our political opinion, our social group, those concepts and that right didn't come out of nowhere, it came out of genocide. And a time when you know countries like the United States said, oh, we're just not gonna issue visas to people from Germany because we're you know, not sure we want you because you're Jewish. And now we have created collectively a right to seek asylum, that when you show up in the United States at that port of entry and somebody's pressuring you to turn back, and if you are afraid to go back to your home country, you have to assert your right to seek asylum. You have to be able to be heard. And we cannot shut that down. It's terrifying to think of the consequences, really. There's something at odds here, which is... We now, most of us, I imagine, here or listening at home, will be tweeting on social media and uh, things about Donald Trump and, and pointing to the worst excesses. And I feel like we have to because of the point you made about us pushing back and there being a resistance. But at the same time, Shazi has been advised, don't do that or you might not get in. I feel like, well, I want to go over and do the guilty feminist in America. And if at the border or if I apply for a visa and they just say no, they can just say no. They don't have to say why. Or if at the border, I've got all these shows booked and then they look me up on YouTube and go no or look at my Twitter feed and say no. Somebody I know the other week was going there and they suspended their Twitter account, which you can do, so it came offline for the duration. So at the border, they wouldn't get seen. But that feels like really 1930s Germany to me, that we're hiding. Right. One of the, the core principles of the United States, the very first you know, right that's articulated to people in the United States, not to citizens, just to people in the United States, is our First Amendment, the right to freedom of speech. What's and, happened to that? Right. It, well, what is happening to it? It is, you know, made fun of. It is, you know, belittled. It is, uh, you know, subject to alternative facts. Um, and so should we not be tweeting if we're going to go to America or should we go, fuck that, we have to? I think, you know, that's where we, the, the privilege conversation really uh, comes into play, right? Uh, the night of the election... And so I went to bed about 9 o'clock, and my son came in. He's 12. He came in and woke us up about 2 in the morning and said, we lost it all. We lost the House. We lost the Senate. We lost the presidency. And at that point, I thought, you know, fuck this. I'm out. I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to go open, a, like, a no-kill cat shelter. Uh, I thought, <laughs> I love cats, and, and I can do something for cats. And, you know, <laughs> and so I, I'm... 
I'm lying there, and then I thought, you know, I can't do that, right? Because the people, you know, I'm not going to be affected. I'm white, and I'm, you know, short. I'm non-threatening. I'm Minnesotan. You know, I, I look and blend in like Minnesotans today because we killed all the Minnesotans a uh, hundred years ago that lived there. Uh, but I don't have to do anything. And that's exactly why I have to step up. You know, because there are people who can't just check out of their own skin. They can't check out of their own religion. They can't just say, oh, I'll just blend in today and not, you know, mm. be mistaken for a maid or picked up and asked for papers or pulled over by the police and taken to jail because you don't have a driver's license and when you get in the jail the immigration officials are there asking you questions and deporting you. We deported over two million people in the last eight years from the United States. That was under the Obama administration. Uh, so imagine what it's going to be people. like under Trump. 85% of those were deported without a hearing. Um, they were you know, signing papers um, and agreeing to be deported, voluntarily being deported, or just mistakenly giving up their rights to things uh, that By they By accidentally signing the I-407. Or a similar piece of paper. So oh. if any of you are in immigration custody at any point, Don't do not sign, sign anything. anything. Do not sign anything. Right, so, you know, we have to, if we can, step up. And it may be at cost, right? But if we just opt out and turn the Twitter account off, we're enabling that repression to take place. So you're saying that pri I'm saying privileged white people need to resist because there are times then the cost is less for us than it is for people right. of color. Right. So and we can always Skype you in. It'll be fine. Oh, I see. Yeah. For yeah. what, for shows in America? Yeah. yeah. Shazia, at the border, are you asked questions about your religion and your heritage? I have been. Uh, about a year ago, when I got to immigration, they asked me where my parents were from. And I said, oh, they were from Pakistan. And he said, oh, so you're Muslim, are you? And I thought about denying it. And I thought, why am I going to deny it? Because he said it to me as though, you're Muslim, aren't you? And I thought, what, is he going to not let me in if I say I am? But I said, yeah, yes, I am. But I'm British, I'm British, I'm British. I just kept saying I'm British. And because mm -hmm. I've got a British accent, I don't know if it helped, but it certainly confused them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there a fear that you might at some point deny it? given that this is yes. 1930s Germany all over yeah, again. Yeah, my friends who live in New York, my friend, she wears a hijab and she she lives in New York. She's taken a hijab off now. She, she doesn't want to wear it. She doesn't feel safe wearing it. She was going through a border the other day and she said, I told them I was Indian. Mm -hmm. That's the start. That's yeah. the start where people in... They're they're trying to and she said, I wish I hadn't, but I was really scared. But when people are scared, that's what right. they're going to do. I mean, that's what the Jews did. They changed their names. They disguised their Jewishness because they don't want to be attacked. They don't, that's, what, that's what we're doing now. And, and you can't help it because you, you don't want to be detained. You don't want to be persecuted. You want to get in. Mm. And also, you don't know what will happen if you're imprisoned either, how long you will be imprisoned for, what kind of treatment you'll get. And as you were saying, Michelle, at the border, before you get in, you don't have those same civil rights that people have who are in America. That's right. So, we, you know, we do detain people and use detention as a deterrent to seeking asylum. We use it as a coercive mechanism to get you to, you know, agree to go. Um, you can have a hearing, but, you know, little returning lawful permanent resident lady, but... Uh, that you're going to sit in jail for six months while that happens. Well, the really tragic thing is that um, we have, well, there's lots of really tragic things. I won't say that. A really tragic thing is that we don't have to have much expansion of 
the authority by the executive branch, the authority under the immigration laws, because we've given that away. We've been expanding the authority to detain, to mm -hmm. deport for 20 years. And the groundwork is laid there. Is there some part of you that thinks that this has been sliding, as you say, for 20 years, and the punctuated equilibrium of Trump, of Obama to Trump, has made us all go, what the fuck? Whereas if it had gone on for another 20 years, Trump would have been the only possible end. Yeah. So is there part of it that it has activated the left because it seems so shocking to us and we now notice all of the cameras that are in place? Well, I think the juxtaposition for particularly white Americans has been really shocking. For Americans of color, for immigrants in our community, for the you know, 10, 11, 12 million undocumented folks in the United States, they weren't seeing you know, a rollback um, or good times under the Obama administration. We've been you know, really continuing, I think, to just learn how appalling life has been all along, mm -hmm. where you know, middle-class white Americans, you know, we, we were just thinking, well, we're beyond this. Everything's good, right? Everything's good. There's no discrimination. And, and our friends of, you know, in immigrant communities have been saying, no, you got to be careful. And now we're really seeing that. So I think, yes, we see that juxtaposition, but not all of us are seeing it as shockingly as, right. as others. So what would you recommend if someone's listening and they're from one of the countries on the list, on the ban, and yes, it's been suspended temporarily, but of course, tomorrow it could all be different. What do you recommend they do if they have to come to America or they want to come to America? Right. Well, for people who are in America right now, people definitely are, are suggesting to just stay put and not travel unless they can manage to be kept out because the rules could change up from under them at any point. If you have travel plans, I think now is an amazing time if you can manage to get in straight away uh, in the next few days. Um, but Go. Go, Go because now. we've got a, we do have an injunction. We have a window. We have a window, but it's uncertain. How do you buy a plane ticket? How do you decide to book shows? How do you decide to, you know, go invest uh, in a business. As a human rights immigration lawyer, do you have any concern that Shazia might book shows, have the visa, even get her green card, get to the gate and have them go, no, you're Pakistani heritage, you're Muslim, go back. Do you have any fear that that could happen yeah. to Shazia? Shazi's not on the list, right? No, I know, I know that, right. but that's why I'm asking. Right. Is there any exactly. chance? But there's always a chance, right? And you've seen that already. And so it's always a risk. It's always a risk. I can't believe that you're saying that there is a chance that that could happen to me I, now. Uh, yes. I, I'm British and I have a British passport. Right. Well, it, right. They cannot stop me getting into the country because I'm Muslim. Yes, they can. And uh, so we can stop anybody from getting into the country for any reason. And we don't need to tell you what it is. So then that is an attack on Islam and an attack on all Muslims all over the world. It is. Just, if, again, that's people listening, that's not definitely going to happen. No. But it could happen. And right. given that Trump's in charge and Bannon's in charge and we know how they feel, we have to prepare ourselves for that. Right. You know, the title of that order is Protecting the Nation from Foreign Terrorist Entry into the United States. This is... It's got nothing to do with terrorists. It has nothing to do with terrorists, but it is using that same meme, that same stereotype 
to accomplish something that is inherently a racist So in a way, Trump is as bad as ISIS. The way he treats women, the way he's an extremist, the way he wants to waterboard people. Apart from chopping people's heads off, he is an extremist just like ISIS. ISIS want to bring about the apocalypse. Uh, Donald Trump and all his right-wing Christian fundamentalists, they also want to bring about the apocalypse. They are both extremists and they are doing exactly the same thing. He is as bad as the people he wants to destroy. Just, I don't know where the breaking point will be on this, but I think it is a time that we really, really need to be standing up, having a discussion, um, and saying, who are we going to stand next to, and taking those risks. So what can, you know, if you have privilege, if you have influence, if you're white, if you're middle class, what can you do to help? We have to be speaking out to elected officials, you know, putting pressure on the British government to have those conversations with the Trump administration is incredibly important. They are trying to negotiate and get guarantees that yes, you can get in because this is ridiculous. This is cruel and and ridiculous. So using our influence, we can be trying to, I mean, in the US, we're suing. Uh, That's, you know, we're using the courts. And of course, we're, you know, we're trying to you know, get out there and do as much as we can, being at the airport, you know, all of that. You work for the Advocates for Human Rights. Can we donate so that you've got more funds to help people? Absolutely. We are in desperate need of more staff to coordinate. We've had volunteers coming out of the woodwork. We engage over a 1,000 volunteers every year, and we need more right now. So we so. haven't charged for the show today so that you can donate All of that money will go directly to Michelle to take back for the Advocates for Human Rights. Uh, Jonkel's got a pint glass. We hope she needs five pint glasses. So if you could put in a five or a tenner, because that's why we didn't ticket the show. If you can't afford that, that's absolutely fine. But if you've got even a quid, the more money that Michelle has for resources, the the easier it will be for her to help people. That is absolutely true. Well, Michelle, really, really good luck with your work. Uh, We'll all be thinking of you. We'll be watching you. Can we follow Advocates for Human Rights on Twitter? You can. We are on Twitter, and our website is theadvocatesforhumanrights.org. So you can get all our Twitter, Facebook. Great. And listeners at home, we don't charge for this podcast. We haven't ever asked you for money before. Uh, So if there's any chance you could donate to the Advocates for Human Rights, if you're sitting at home listening and you weren't at the show today, uh, if you could give them, you know, even a five or a tenner, that would be great. If you're rich, just give them a grand. Um, (laughs) Michelle Garnett McKenzie, thank you so much. And thank you to my wonderful co-host, Shazia Mirza. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White. Our guest host, Shazia Mirza, and our very special guest, Michelle Garnett-McKenzie. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer for The Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. Thanks to Peter Kahn and everyone at The Phoenix, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Follow us on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Find us on Facebook on the Guilty Feminist Podcast group. And go to iTunes. You can rate each episode. If you've done it before, you can do it again. There's nothing stopping you going back and giving us five more chunky stars. (laughs) 
Um, thanks so much, guys. I think that was, it was compact. It was bijou, but I learned more than I've learned in many other Guilty Feminist episodes. I just felt like hoovering it in. Um, I would love to have another four hours with Michelle and Shazia. Uh, you wouldn't. It was too depressing. And now no. everybody's sad. No, no. It really? was also, it's okay. did, I thought it was very, it's fine. very interesting. It'll be good. And I also feel like maybe we'll be galvanized. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you guys for coming out. I really appreciate it. Please put some money in the pine glass. We'll be out there for drinks. See you outside. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, so we've just finished the Guilty Feminist emergency episode on the Muslim ban. And here we are at the Phoenix Artist Club having a drink. I am Deborah Francis-White and this is... Michelle Garnett-McKenzie. Shazia Mirza. And our very special guest, who is in fact, yes, listeners, a man. Manu Brueggemann, hello. Why are you here, Manu? I am ethnically ambiguous. I'm a big riddle for white people. I am gay in an interracial relationship. I come from Europe. I'm adopted. Um, and you're an academic, aren't you? Yes, yeah, something what's your What's your specialty? I look at subversive strategies to implement feminism in technology and... Yeah. Oh, I am aroused. <laughs> so we thought we'd seriously. Yeah. We wow. should ask. I know we should have Manu on the podcast yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, but we thought he was here. He's come all the way down from Newcastle to attend the podcast today. Uh, so we wanted him to be able to also ask Michelle. We also, sorry, just got interrupted there by drinks. Uh, we also wanted him to ask Michelle some questions on behalf of the LGBT community about uh, human rights in. Uh, America. Um, so let's hack away. Shazia, you've got to go first. So, what else would you like to ask well, Michelle? Well, Michelle, um, let's lean, in, lean into the microphone. As, 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 there's, as you know, the, 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 there's been the Muslim ban, and when I went on the protest last Monday outside 10 Downing Street, there were a lot of LGBTQ groups, as Q as we now call it as well. Um, there were a lot of LGBTQ groups, people with gay banners, gay flags. And the, the, the main thing that I saw on their banners was, are we next? Are we next? And I think that every minority group of people are worried, who is it going to be next? Is it women, Muslims, gay people? Who next? Right. I think you're... You're right, that we're seeing a lot of solidarity. So, you know, we've been talking about putting together um, in Minneapolis an ISMS conference, you know, or targets, like, who's all the targets? You're a target, you're a target, because the administration has kind of laid out this list of people who, and types of people, groups that are under attack um, that include every single one of us. And it's been really exciting seeing people come together around that and of course when we think about who's next in terms of we were talking about the fascism you know gay people were on the list yeah. right you know they were part of the targets of the nazi genocide they're yeah. part you know this isn't new territory to to have this kind of of target but there seems to be this fear of the right white supremacists you know steve bannon 
uh, Mike Pence, that they are advocating right-wing Christian fundamentalism and anything that goes against that, Muslims, um, gay people, abortion, we feel under attack now. Well, there's been a really, I think, um, astonishingly organized movement around this. I mean, the white supremacist, um, we call it alt-right, quote-unquote. Alt-right is the new new white supremacist. I saw some quote, and I, I meant to look up who, before I came, and I, of course, didn't because I have very limited web access, but, um, but I um, saw something saying, you know, we don't call ourselves Nazis. Nazis, the term Nazi is outdated and doesn't resonate. Okay. Oh, great. God. It's a branding <laughs> issue, gang. It That's is. It's mainly a branding it issue. Right. I mean, <laughs> dude. That's over the top. You know, this is kind of where, where we need to be watching. And there's, there's a group that's come kind of out of the woodwork. It's called Act for America. It bills itself as the NRA of national security. Now, I don't know if your listeners know, the NRA is the National Rifle Association. It's a very active group in the United States, lobbying group with a lot of power and money into making sure people have access to, to firearms and um, protecting our Second Amendment. Um, and this group has little chapters all over the U.S. They have them in my state. They have them all over. And, and the big uh, agenda items are American laws for American courts, making sure that we don't have Sharia law coming to the United States, uh, because that happens all the time. And, um, and hashtag it doesn't. Has, hashtag it doesn't. Hashtag alternative facts. Um, and that's, you know, they, they use this sort of grassroots and national strategy combination to spread these incredible lies. You know, it's just, it's in foment fear. So um, one meeting, you know, was, was documented they, on a, a radio show. They had, uh, you know, what happens if your daughter comes home with a boyfriend and it's Muhammad, you know, and then... What if they have children? What will ha- you know? Will the child be raised as a Muslim? You know, and <gasps> this is the, the fear. fear of the other. Right. Well, you know, that would be great. You know, like, and and your point is right, but but that's the fear that's being fomented. It's really insidious. Manu. I uh, when we talked about the the desirable people in in, in the U.S. I was wondering, you know, we didn't include disabled people. You know, are they at risk of being excluded? Um, and we're in those discussions we had 50 years ago. You know, would you want a disabled kid? And, and, and God. Just... Right, right. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the areas that got so much attention during the campaign was the candidate Trump's um, making fun of a journalist who was oh, disabled. Yes. Right? And he, Which he still denies, right. even though evidently and clearly this video of it, he was. Right. And and so there you know, that's that is another group that is coming out and saying, you know, let's be vigilant. We have something called the Americans with Disability Act, Disabilities Act, which just celebrated some long-term anniversary, and I'm forgetting how many years we've had it because it's been a long time, uh, which means that, you know, we have elevators in public spaces and we have cutouts on the, the street corners, you know, on the sidewalks so you can get your wheelchair around and, and access, and it's still not enough for people to be included you know, that is federal legislation that's propelled that through, and so making sure that that stays there, um, you know, it's really important. So the disability community, I think, has been been activated. I think they they are a very watchful community, and 
And when we were demonstrating in Manchester, literally the first row were people in electric wheelchairs holding up the biggest signs, and it was just... Yeah, I saw them on Monday outside 10 Downing Street, people in wheelchairs, children, old people, young people. It was everyone. It was everyone. And I, that was really, I was really happy about that it was everyone. It is, it is. It's really kind of exciting to see people coming together around, you know, seeing where they can intersect, where they, where we have shared interests of, you know, what human rights is about, which is building blocks for dignity, right? You know, it's, it's making sure each of us lives with dignity. That's what we want. And whether, you know, whether you're a woman and don't want your pussy grabbed, which is, you know, what gave rise to, I don't know if you had them over here, but the, the pink pussy hat, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, um, or it's, you are, whatever is on the list. Um, I think that's really important. You know what? You don't have to be black to fight against racism. And that everybody knows this is wrong. It's not right. And and you know what? You're seeing a group of people being persecuted. And you've got to help them. You've got to help them. And I I think that everybody feels that. All over the world, everybody feels like, don't persecute this group of people. We've seen it before. We don't want it but, to happen I mean, again. if everybody felt it, then we wouldn't be right. in this situation. So there's still... We become a, brainwashed. They, I mean, right. so often... There's, there's still a big, a huge amount of people who are pro-Trump, pro, oh, yeah. uh, pro-Brexit pro for the wrong reasons. Yeah, so I'm not putting time, everybody... They don't believe yeah. that they're racist. At the same time, they just think, oh, yeah, we, we didn't hate the, the, the Muslims. We just want to control our immigration. There's like a, a deconstruction of what a is... A uh, subtext, which is not going... Well, yeah. I also... I had a really kind of interesting conversation that I couldn't quite get my head around um, while I was here in London, but with uh, an American. So none of you are to blame for me having this wacky conversation. Um, But he was saying, you know, all these women, Trump hadn't done one thing He'd just been inaugurated and all these women come out to protest, but Fifty Shades of Grey is a top seller. And, you know, trying to make this argument that women being interested in our sexuality or enjoying, you know, goofy books is somehow equivalent to... to being okay with rape, you know, and, and, and I was, My I was, God. I was so confused, it's right? So and horrifying. And like, I mean, really, you know, everybody has this locker room talk, and was going back to this, you know. And he said, this this guy turned to a, another man who was sitting there, who's desperately trying to not be sitting there, um, and the, and said, you know, we always, you talk dirty, don't you? I mean, he just was caught on tape talking dirty. That's nothing. And, and you know, these, this movie is on it, top seller. Why wouldn't this be a, you know, why are you so upset look at me why are you so upset about Trump you know what do you say to that right and and that when you are when you are the one who's on the in group and aren't under attack then you can't see it I wonder if these people always harbored those feelings and Trump just legitimized their feelings or if they have become like that because Trump says it's okay to become have they always been like that and we didn't know yeah I I think you know our feeling has been really that it's it's like made this sort of behavior presidential you know and and it it gives you permission to say things that previously were oppressed by political correctness that's that's the great fear that how much he's legitimized hate prejudice bigotry sexism racism homophobia disabilism all of those things everything everything (laughs) islamophobia uh so yeah let's put this to you if trump is impeached we will get pence who 
uh, he, many people feel hates, for example, gay people more than Trump, who perhaps is not ideologically driven. He's just driven by power um, and fame and, and, and reckless desire to be to be adored by his yeah. his followers who he if he if he it's just experience like if he thinks yeah they're gonna love me for that yeah, he'll, he'll do, do whatever that. laws but but he'll do whatever he can to do that but but Pence really does seem to be horribly uh, homophobic and more yeah. than homophobic like hate hates gay people believes conversion that they therapy believes in conversion therapy so would you rather have Trump or Pence well, I think Pence is pulling the strings behind Trump anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think there are lots of puppets in this, you know, puppet masters in this administration, you know, with their different agendas that have been kind of pulled in. That's, that's an impossible question for me to answer. Would I rather have one or the other? But I think, you know, what we've got with, with Trump is a galvanizing force that's really laying it all out there on the table and saying, this is, you know, we're not... We're not pretending about our, you know, our agenda, and so it's it's giving us some energy um, to fight back. I don't know if that would be the same with Pence because he's a much different personality, as you said. Um, but you know, it, it's just I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a long four years, no matter what. Um, on the plus side. I am really heartened by the immediate pushback, the immediate, not just public pushback and not just media pushback, but, you know, having the courts, you know, having all of those pieces in place. We've got to keep at it. I worry it's going to become normal soon. Right. And once we've yeah. been on five, six, yeah. seven marches, yeah. uh, it, then, like, I've been on two marches in the last two weeks, and that's... That's an that's a that's an unusual amount of marches. I imagine I'll go on a march next week. I imagine the week after. But at what point is it going to be like? Yes, yeah, what we do, right? We march. If you're in town, hey, have you got time to march today? Sure. And then it becomes normal. And then either we stop, or marches don't work anymore, or you know, it's just we think we're doing something by marching, and then we need to be doing something more. How do we keep awake? Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the strategies that we use, uh, where I work at the Advocates, is to really engage people as volunteers in your own professions so you know people who are actors can you know can bring this forward in their art people who are academics can you know you can be working on the study you know and keeping that momentum not just as like something you do in your off time but something you do as part of who you are um, to, to try to get as much energy and keep as much energy mainstreamed and focused um, because it is it's really easy to start to say well you know it's not that bad or it becomes normalized there's that frog in the boiling water analogy you well, know especially because he, yeah. he tweets about crazy 12 12 crazy things a day you it's, can't you keep up, can't with, it, right? keep up no, with it and no. you can't be as outraged by everything you go oh no here yeah. it goes again right and at some point i feel like this is just yeah. going to be life right. like at the moment it's shocking but at some point we are in danger of it just being well this is how we live now and we have to fight right i feel like putting putting our rights on my fridge i've been thinking this for a while write them down even yeah. with brexit as well we're going to lose a lot of rights that we have under europe that we that we, we will have to ask for them again and fight right. for them again i'm not saying we won't get those rights back i'm saying we'll have to be alert we'll have to be on guard right. and i want to write things on the fridge and sort of <laughs> right. keep going back to what we had and if things start to slide and, and change right. 
to keep going, no, that's normal, this isn't normal. Yeah. Manu, how will it change you as an academic? Shazia is going, everyone. Can Thank you for having me, Deborah. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thanks. Bye, Shazia. Bye. Manu, how will this change your work as an academic? My very first step was I started reading Hannah Arendt. I'm reading all the books and get my hands on in the original German translation, uh, English and the German translation, because she actually adapted the translations. Um, so that is definitely something I want to pass on to my students. I now uh, wrote about what's it like to play Pokemon Go, um, but as a person of color, if it ends up leading you in America into the wrong kind of neighborhoods, you know, is this innocent activity of playing on your phone suddenly get, potentially get you killed? Is I, am I at risk for playing Pokemon Go? Um, so I'm really looking at trying to bring back into, into, into memory you know, the, the subaltern voices, you know, the disabled person, you know, how are they going to um, experience um, and how do we concretely make them heard? Um, there's a lot of theories that are written uh, by white scholars and um, I'm now giving these theories, I do my best to give these theories to minorities that deserve to be heard. So if there are people who write about walking through a city as a methodology, which is great, but bottom line is I don't care if there is a 45-year-old white British man walking through um, Manchester. You know, I want to hear what the disabled person's experience of it is like. What is the woman's perspective at midnight? You know, they're going to be very different stories. And these methodologies now need to be given to the people who are... Um, kind of the, the, the um, canneries in the mine, you know. Um, I, as I said, with the minorities I belong to, you know, I, I, I experience it so often that, and then it becomes more and more frequent that I realize, oh, wait, I, I used to be heard. Or um, just yesterday when I went to a hotel under pound a night, uh, and the first question I get asked is, um, hey, are the pizza delivery guy? And that never happened to me before, but it certainly stuck with me. Mm. Um, so, and I try to convey that to my students, and because they are now 9,000 pounds university fees, it's a very homogeneous group of students I've got. Uh, and they are bright kids, and they're great, but they just don't know what it's like to be in a minority. They haven't experienced it yet, and, and I'm just trying to patiently show them, hey, these are assumptions you've held. How about if you were wearing a, a headscarf? Would this be the same story? Would you have experienced the same thing? Um, or yeah, you never had to, you're not scared of a, of a policeman. Well, other people experience that and it's actually not a comfortable sight. Cameras scare some people. Um, evidence is not uh, neutral. So. Well, and, and that is a conversation that we're deeply embroiled in in the United States right now with all of the, the um, documentation of police violence. I mean, it's always been there, uh, but it's been easier to dismiss or, you know, rationalize away by creating a narrative by the, the people in power to say this this is how it happened you know it, he pulled a gun or whatever um, and as we're getting you know in, in the town I live in we had somebody shot and killed and his the passenger in his car was went on Facebook live and we watched live as she was trying to talk the police officer down from shooting her and you know it was it you know it's saying you just shot him why did you do that and you know it um as we're being confronted with that i think this is a really you know it's a time when when more people can't turn away and what you're doing too you know bringing in at that college age university age person um is so important because you know I'm old. Like we we need them to be understanding the context, right? 
that that they're coming into and not think that this is normal and okay and this is the way things should be. In an ideal world, you know, that would be a diverse class uh, where, where, where people realize that, that, yeah, experiences are mixed, but now our classrooms are homogeneous and I'm trying to work with that. They're, they're are you saying because of university fees, yes. you work with a lot more white middle class students than you used to? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. Discouraging. When I was doing my undergraduate, people worked, people um, uh, lived in shitty accommodations, went to a second-hand clothes store. Um, I was lucky I got a scholarship. Um, but I, I knew, you know, these were people in my class, they had these, these less for, uh, fortunate experiences of, of their undergraduate years, and they dealt with it. Now my students all live in these fancy student accommodations, they don't need a job, they, um, they are they are expecting the service. Universities have 9,000 uh, 9, pounds a year, you know, the, at home they hear stories of, oh, is that what I'm paying 9,000 pounds for? Um, so they get, they bring the attitude into uh, their degrees. Um, what the lecturer reported to me uh, yesterday was that um, he saw a student uh, going to the loo and the, 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 the towel thing broke. And his first response was, oh, is that what I'm paying 9,000 pounds for? Um, right. It's not necessarily that false. Um, and, and I'm just trying to to change right. as good as I can. There are components of time, uh, there are sometimes moments where I really am confrontational. There are times when I say, okay, this is a fight I cannot pick up. Um, this is the route I'm going with my teaching practice. It's the right way for me. I'm doing my best, but I, I'm not prescribing that anybody else needs to do the same thing. Well, uh, is there anything you'd like to say, Michelle, before we finish up? Well, I, well, I think on the list, on your, on, on your fridge, um, and we can all have a list on our fridge, just put a few things. Watch the press freedom. Watch the court freedom. Watch, you know, watch these indicators of what makes it okay to have dissent um, and to have uh, multiplicity of views and make sure we can push back against things. Uh, there are indicators of that, and, and I, I'll be interested to you know, see a snap of the list on your fridge, uh, see, see how we do on that. Right. Manu? There's one thing I actually would love to share, and um, it was on Guardian Independent Direct two or three days ago, where the uh, Norwegian Prime Minister got detained because he was in one of the banned states, uh, countries, and um, he got held back, I think, for an hour, and it, was, it, it read like it's going to be a, become a big deal that diplomatic um, cogs start to turn, and that, um, uh, that there was an action going to be taken. And I, it made me really upset because this happened for the very first time to a very privileged, powerful white man that he experienced what brown people have experienced Every for day. years and decades and decades. I, I, would I would hate to know how much time has been spent in detention prisons uh, by, by, by people who are being held at borders. And suddenly, because it happened to an hour to this man, things might start to change. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes people think I hate white men. Really, I don't. Uh, it's, it's, they play a crucial role in trying to get the, to, to, to change um, it for the better. But I was very upset because it just reminded me how powerless I am through no fault of my own. Because, yeah. Ladies and the doors are now open for oh. This Is Who I well, Am in the Members' Lounge by the Corner. I think the fact that the PA has cranked up uh, means we are at the end of our discussion. 
uh, but can I just say a huge thank you, Manu, for joining for joining us thank in this you. after chat. Please come on the podcast and talk about feminism and technology soon. Uh, and a huge thank you to Michelle. Uh, please donate to the Advocates for Human Rights and give them more resources because they're going to need them. That's right. uh, this has been Deborah Francis White for the Guilty Feminist. You've been our lovely listeners. Thanks for staying for the after party. Bye.